Howdy gang, fired up that you have found Backcountry and Barbells. Today's episode is brought to you, well not brought to you by, but in support of the Send a Vet Foundation. Guys, check them out, sendavet.org, send hyphen a vet.org. The Send a Vet Foundation is focused on sending our nation's combat warriors um, back into the field, but into a different kind of field um, on nature, in nature adventures, hunting trips, fishing trips, those sorts of things. Um, at the recent Send a Vet auction, they they auctioned off a great hunting trip to Africa, and, and fishing trips were all over the place in the silent auction, guys, and we raised um, well over a hundred thousand dollars in a single evening to support that um they're also gearing up for the big bear hunt that takes place in idaho so if you know um a soldier a service member um a guy struggling um with with any aspect of um, acclimation back into um back into peacetime uh let us know and uh we'll sort that out and get you guys in contact and then if you'd like to support the foundation also head on over to send a vet um and head on over to the website, which you can find in our partner page, and we can find a way to help. It doesn't just have to be a donation, but um, if you are looking uh, to donate, head on over to their website and hit the Ways to Donate button, and um, you'll be able to figure it out. So, um, great foundation, great folks, and um, a great opportunity to um, show your support for our nation's um service members especially today um if you are listening to this episode on time we are on memorial day um weekend so check that out guys not not a better time um the other sponsor or the other supporter of the show pr lifting quality fitness gear especially here in the pacific northwest as mentioned many times if you live here between Everett and Portland. They'll hook you up with great shipping options. Just call Anthony and the gang. Um, like I said, on even tiny orders, I've gotten free shipping from those guys. Um, definitely looking to hook up local folks. But if you're not local, check out their website. They're always having great options on equipment. And again, they supported the Send of Ed auction by donating a great barbell set. Um, recently, they got a lot of attention, and mainly got a lot of attention because it's great gear. I mean, this is stuff that you buy once, right? Um, and, and when we're starting our home gyms, and that's what we want to do. So check them out, guys. Uh, great customer service um, locally here in the Pacific Northwest. But again, great shipping options for those of you who are not. Check out PR Lifting, guys. And lastly, guys, if you really do want to support the show, check out our website, backcountryandbarbells.com. Right now on the homepage, we have a great training option. Those of you looking to start your home training situation, don't know where to go, but you do have some equipment, um, we have a great program option listed there on the website. So go to the homepage, scroll down, check out Basecamp. Basecamp um, gives you um, options for equipment to start your home gym, and then it walks you through exactly how to use it. So check it out. Also, guys, if you do like what we're doing, uh, please let us know review the show tell your buddies share it however you can that would be excellent so um upward onward i think we're on episode eight we're still doing it today it's all about oyster meat um waking up at attention and um dialing in your focus we do hope you enjoy but more than anything we hope you're getting out there in training hunting and living the best lives possible thank you very much Howdy, gang. Back country and barbells. Back again. Um, Mike's on, Jeremy, right? 
My mic is rocking and rolling, baby. <laughs> I like it. Not I like earlier. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's always great. Uh, the show's recording, but Jeremy, I don't hear you, sir. Is your mic on? And then, yep, yep, yep. But yeah, your blue light can be on on these mics, but uh, the on switch has to be on, which uh, which actually on switch is being on is something we'll get to um, a little later in the show. But you know, we, we've can been you ta- hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you now. Um, but oh, perfect. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. No, no, no. It's funny. But I don't know what it was. I just the mic was on and everything was ready to go. It just wasn't playing. It's it's te- technical difficulties with the gear. As um, you know, in our last show we were talking about which you should all go back and listen to if this is your first episode and go back a show and uh, check out um, you know, starting your home gym and that sort of gear. It's um, some good stuff there. But um, you know, part of the conversation we've had in the early goings of the show always revolves around mental toughness and how to pursue it. Um, I'll tell you one thing you can do. At least for me, I got some in today. Um, uh, eating oyster meat, sir. Um, I don't. I don't know if you're an oyster fan, but uh, I am. I not. do enjoy the oysters. Do you? <laughs> oh yeah. I I honestly like them for their benefits, but um, I hate shooking them. So I don't know if you know about this, but there's a place out out here locally by us. It's actually not so close to you, but um, you you know where Nasquali is, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you go past Nisqually just a touch, or it's right around that same exit, there's this great little oyster farm. Um, you can drive right on out there, and you can buy oysters by however you want. And you walk into their operation, and there's a nice little lady shucking them right there on some conveyor belt. But dang it, brother, um, don't get the large oysters from these folks. They are big hawkers. <laughs> They're good size, huh? And dude, I'll be honest with you. Listen, um, I'm a bit of a mental midget. Like, I eat oysters because here's the deal. I haven't been sleeping right lately, so I'm like, okay, you know, I'll mess with some zinc or magnesium supplement. But then I do some digging. I'm like, you know what? I just need to eat a a bunch ton of spinach and oysters. And I found this oyster setup where you can go down there, and like I said, you can buy them by the pint. You can buy them any size. And I saw that the large ones were cheaper. But, bro, they were rough. And I have a bit of a... (laughs) I have a bit now. Listen, they taste great. They taste like the ocean. They're fresh. I saw the lady shucking them all, and they they put them in the bin for you. But man, I have a bit of a, a gag reflex when it comes to things like Jello and and oystery type textures. Uh huh. Um, man, I had to power through them today. <laughs> so, but you did it right. But I did it, and I feel much better about myself. I've been eating. Um, I'll eat like three to I'll eat like three to six every morning. Um, to tell I'm starting the day, and they don't come on the half shell. I'm not. I'm not gussing them up with like lemon or or salsa or hot sauce. I'm just I'm just uh, I'm I'm putting them down. I'll, I'll put them in like a little shot glass and I just do it. And, and my family laughs at me, but I've gotten better as we've gone. But uh, <laughs> they probably gather around to watch a dad uh, do oysters. <laughs> they laugh. Like, Here we go. Here we go. Why is they're like? Why is they trying to make himself throw up? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just trying to i'm trying to do this the right way and um what and here's the thing though like and this might be a tip for you guys i have a couple like um i have a couple things that i always want to make sure are regular um you know like um if i'm going number two you know i just that should be pretty regular like in terms of timing and and what things look like and and the cleanup shouldn't be a mess um and then there's a couple other ones you know ease to sleep is a big one for me so if ease to sleep's not there i know stress is a little bit high but then the other one that's a big one that all guys listening to the show might want to pay attention to. You know, uh, any man out there should be waking up at attention, sir. Um, and, and to read between the lines on that one, sort that out. But 
I'll be honest with you, um, you can go supplement with things like uh, magnesium and zinc and those kind of ZMA complexes, but I'll be honest with you, um, up your spinach and um, get you a pint of oysters for the week, and um, it'll right the shit pretty quick. But uh, <laughs> if, you, if you've got a bit of a gag reflex, it's a rough way to go. But honestly, too, the, this spot up in Nisqually is great. I mean, I don't know where I can get fresher, better oysters for cheaper. I mean, for my little pint of oysters that lasted me the week, um, and fresh right out of the ocean. I mean, these things tasted like the ocean, um, tasted like the sound. Um, it was thirteen fifty, and um, that's it, not bad. It was unbelievable. So um, I would say check it out. I'll have to um, before the show closes for anyone who's local. Um, I'll get the actual name of the place out. But uh, you know, and it makes me think of just how important it is sometimes to even just source things locally. I mean, um, and I, I know where we are. It seems like this farmers market thing is a big deal. Do you have any like uh, out where you are out in that Bremerton area? Do you have any like local hot spots for for delicacies that 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 that, that you grab? You know, we don't really get out to those farmer markets. We go to the, uh, Gig Harbor has a good one, um, but. Unfortunately, we do 90% of our shopping at Costco just because it's so cheap. I hear and you. then I do my garden, and so I, we usually are able to get enough out of the garden during the harvest time. But during the winter, we usually, we usually go over to uh, uh, Costco. No, and you know what? I got to give you credit because you are your own farmer's market. And anyone yeah. you go to Jeremy Day's house, he's got a... He's got he's got apple and cherry trees in the front. He's got great grapes just behind them, and then off to the left, he's got he's got the vegetable garden, which um you know I've I've um I've sampled quite a bit of fare from all 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 your labor there, and um you do a nice job of that. So uh, yeah, my raspberry, I got lots of berries, raspberries, blackberries. I mean, we get a bunch of fruit out of there. So that's always something we're super interested in. I mean, what's the now, I know with your setup, um, when you came into the home, a lot of that was kind of set up. Now, what's the key to starting that green thumb? If you could maybe make a recommendation for folks who are, hey, I'll grow some herbs, I'll do that. Well, how do you start this off on the right foot? Well, you know, like with me, I just, I'll go to even Home Depot and they'll have all the little packages on the, the on the starter. Sorry for the background noise. I have a puppy and a... Um, <laughs> Seven-month-old female, and they decided to break in the door and sit here and roll around and fight right next to me, and I can't walk away from my microphone. Oh, she's good. We love puppies, so, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a bunch of dog lovers listening. Oh yeah, and they're cute. They got two English Springer Spaniels, so um, little knuckleheads. But I got distracted there. So you go to Home Depot, and then you can look on the packages for, like, corn or whatever. You figure out what you like. And then on the back, it'll tell you when's the best growing times and, you know, how much sun they need and all this stuff. So it really can walk you through it. And it's not super-duper hard. The The hardest part, I think, is just getting the right soil for your garden because you don't want too much of nitrogen or this or that. And I don't know all the terminology of all the stuff, but – if you have a lot of pine needles that fall on it, then it'll kill your garden. Blueberries grow good with a lot of nitrogen, but um, but yeah, and then you just get you can get soil down at your local uh, place where they sell sand and gravel and all that. They usually have um, potting soil there, and well, then I'd go about twelve inches. Yeah, can yeah. you get hooked up with your local? 
who I don't know, mineral guy or whatever. I mean, in North Carolina, you used to be able to get soil samples from your yard, and they could, they could, you could send them off to like your county or whatever. You, it's like a free box you could do, and they would, hey, your your soil super acidic, do this or whatever. They would give you some tips. I mean, does Washington have a setup like that, or are you familiar? You know, I I don't know if they do. I know you can buy a kit yourself, and then you can go down and test the ground and the yeah. soil and and figure it out. But to me, I just I just get the I plant you know put 12 inches of potting soil in there and then i churn it up pretty good and then i just grow my plants and i've every year it's very fruitful we do a lot of lettuce um a lot of cabbage lots of um carrots i do lots of potatoes and then um i got garlic going this year so and really i just dove into it my dad was always a green thumb and i just dove into it and I just every year it gets a little better. So the first year my harvest was v- real late, and then the second year not so bad. And then last year it was perfect. We had lettuce all summer long, and very cool. Yeah, and it's delicious grapes. I mean, every time I've driven up to your house, I'm leaving with more than I came, which is way. <laughs> so, uh, germ- well, if you we get- only get like what <laughs> six hundred pounds of them, man. Yeah, but, I did uh, try my first batch of wine this year. Okay, how'd that and- turn out? I was there. Dude, it was extremely tasty. Okay. But then I did something, and I don't know what I did before I bottled it, and then it turned into vinegar, and I was so bummed. Oh, so, so in the bottling process. Yeah, like- and it's like they say. I, I think what I did is you're supposed to. It's supposed to do its fermentation process where it's bubbling and it's doing all this breathing. Well, then it stopped, and then I had to, and then I waited a week because I travel so much. I think that's what it did. I think it. You're supposed to catch it right when it quits doing that bubbling process. So, well, you learn you learn by doing, sir. Heck right? yeah, and we'll do it again next year. I mean, and it, it was a blast. My wife and I were in there for hours picking berries and, or you know, doing the grapes and picking the stems off of them, and then we threw them in a blender and then threw them in this bucket, and it was a lot of fun. But the first little bit was really really tasty. There you go. Well, but you know, live anyway. and learn. I was playing a game with some friends last night called Settlers of. Uh, what the heck this game was? It was a wild game. It's called Settlers of Catan or something, where you had to do all this, this, that, and the other. And I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to learn by doing. So I was making all the wrong moves. But by the end of the game, I devised a strategy for the next one. So uh, just just get your ass in there and start, right? And, That's- you know, and it's just like hunting or anything <laughs> yeah, like a- anything else for the novice guy. And like we've talked, you know, you put a stock on an animal, it's a cow. So what? You you know, you you want to gain that experience. You want to try to experience it as much as you can. And, and diving into it is how you learn the most. If if you don't put a spot on stock on an animal and then all of a sudden you have this seven, seven, seven by seven bull or, you know, the biggest elk you've ever seen. And then you go to put a spot and stock on it. You're going to, there's more than likely you're going to bump it. That's exactly because you right. haven't experienced it. You haven't, like, you know, gone through a little bit of trials or tripped over the curb or the branch or whatever and learned, hey, I got to pick my feet up. Well, and I'll tell you where is a place to start that. Start in your house and you can spot and stalk your kids. Yeah, there you go. I do it. I do it to my kids where they're playing and they're quiet and I just try and creep up on them, give them the old tickle and we work it out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but for, and for those of you guys who are local in the Olympia, uh, Washington area, uh, I, f- I pulled up where I pulled that oyster, um, set up. It's a national fishing oyster out here in Olympia. Um, yeah. And they're right there located at Nisqually under, um, you know, honestly, it's a beautiful, you got a shot of Mount Rainier right from there. And, um, I would say anyone who's local, check them out. Um, 
the product's great. Uh, don't, don't, um, don't uh, give them grief for my gag reflex. Okay. But uh, get out there and try their product. Okay. Um, what I love about oysters, I chew them. Yeah. Well, I just love the taste of them. I have to chew these ones because they're massive. Next time I'm getting a small batch, I'm going to pay the extra two bucks. I'm going to get the tinies. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they're, 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 if you are, if you like chewing oyster meat, Jeremy, I would say next time you're out in Olympics, I know you head down there. Um, check out National, um, Check out National Fish and Oyster Company. You drive down there. I mean, it's right there on the road. Um, everybody working there, even the folks working at the desks, had galoshes and uh, rubber boots on. So I guess that's, 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 cool. that's one place to know um, if the people are really doing their thing. But um, great stuff, man. So, But to be honest, you know, that's a big reason I got into hunting. And, you know, you know, when you get into CrossFit in the beginning, it was all this paleo diet stuff and best sources of this, best sources of that. And you come to find out whether it's – whether it's vegetables or meat, the, the the closer you can source your stuff to home and the less hands that touch it is the better. I mean, organic uh-huh. aside, this and that, oxo- you know, exotic this. I mean, man, if you can get your stuff in your own backyard, I mean, that's the way to go. And 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 that's what that's what really has pushed me into into the hunting thing. Um and and I'm grateful to have been a part of it this year and now even just having some meat bricks in the freezer. Um it's awesome. It's the best, and it, it's not only good for you. It's it's gratifying knowing that you've had some hands in it. And I I guarantee that's got to be the same feeling when you're pulling vegetables out of the dirt. Oh yeah, man, I absolutely love it. It's kind of another way for me to just kind of have a release, and I'll get out there and pull weeds for four hours, six hours sometimes. And Titus will come out there, and he spent two hours out there with me one day. And we're just you know BSing, having a good time pulling weeds. Mm. And it is, it's and it's like hunting, you know you. You're not being, you're not like stalking an animal the whole time you're out there. You're out there enjoying nature, going up and down ridges, seeing new scenery, smelling new smells, figuring out how you're going to cross the damn river without getting wet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, it's just, you're challenging your mind. And, and it's funny. So I was in, I was at a trade show last week in Las Vegas and, you know, I take a lot of Ubers and I'm sitting here with this Uber driver and he's, he, he looks over to me and he's. He's like, you know, 90% of the people on the streets are in their subconscious state of mind. He says this to you. He says this to me, and I'm like, (laughs) I go, well, what makes you bring that up? And he goes, well, I was just in a class yesterday. I'm a massage therapist at full time, and and I was in this class, and they taught us that, you know, most people just go around with these devices in their subconscious, so they're they're not even awake as they're walking around doing things. Mm. And then I got to thinking, I was like, you know, I'm guilty of that too out there in the field. But when I'm, and then he, he goes into saying, well, what you want to be is in a conscious state of mind where you're always paying attention. And he goes, with you guys doing your business, you should, you know, you're sitting in front of somebody and you need to really focus in and listen to what they're saying. You need to hit all those sensory glands. And then he goes, and he goes, we're all um, hunter gatherers. And I go, absolutely. And I go, you know, I'm a hunter. And when I get out into the woods, I have a whole different sense of sensory glands. Once I step into the timber, it's just like all of a sudden I hear all this stuff. I can see my eyesight, you know, and we've, I think we've touched on this a little bit. And it's just kind of interesting. So you put that subconscious state into like a 90% conscious state and 10% subconscious. But Well, I think what it comes down to is folks aren't paying attention. 
to exactly. And, and 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 that's another way to put it. Whether it's subconscious, uh, conscious minds. You know, I was having the same conversation. It's funny. I was having the exact same conversation with my middle school kids because in my health class, you know, we're still getting this like get to know you period um, with the new semester and. I start the semester off with this like priorities grid where they, you know, I give them like six categories and they, they develop a list of their top five things in that. And then that leads to, okay, now give me your best and worst case scenario with each priority. And then from there I teach them how to set goals and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, through that I'm showing them little videos of, you know, chefs and athletes who, um, they, they pick a path and they're just into it. And, and one of the stories was about a chef who, when he was 16, you know, was washing dishes and he notices these people plating food a particular way. And because he noticed that, he got curious about becoming a chef and leads to it, leads to this. And now all of a sudden into his thirties, he's like a, he's training under a Michelin star chef in Los Angeles. And my point to the kids was that kid was paying attention. That's all he was doing. And he was paying attention to his environment. He saw something that he was curious about, and then he just took the next step. I was like, how many opportunities do you think you're missing, your parents are missing, or everybody's missing by putting their head in a screen when they should just be freaking paying attention? You know what I mean? So, and, Absolutely. And, and that's a lesson in the woods. So, you, you know, if, if you're somebody – I'll tell you this. If you're somebody who, like, can't take an hour of silence, you're going to have a hard time in the woods. I mean, because – what you, you, you <laughs> because it can to, be quiet for yeah, a while. You to, yeah, you have to be quiet. You have to be with yourself, and that's as much training as getting in the woods as anything else, I think. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, you have to. I mean, seriously, focus on it. And I've I've had hunt, hunting partners. You know, this one guy, he would not shut up, man. And by the end of the day, I I felt like I was gonna like Homer Simpson. I was gonna go over to Bart and just start shaking. <laughs> and it's because. He, he couldn't handle the silence. Sure. He couldn't handle 20 minutes. And so, you know, we'd split up. Okay, I'd say, hey, go down this way. So I'm like, oh, I get a little break. All of a sudden, like a magnet. And so he couldn't focus in, and he, he wasn't very successful at hunting. Hmm. So. You got to be with yourself so like a little bit. So like you're saying. Yeah, you, you got to you gotta get. And it's all part of that mental toughness, how we started out this conversation earlier in the podcast. Sometimes you just have to really push through it, but once you get there, the rewards are unbelievable. Yeah, so maybe even before you get into training, it's like if you think you want to get woods ready, um, maybe it's just, hey, man, you got to spend 20 minutes doing nothing. Do yeah. It. Work it out. Take a walk. You know what I mean? And, and put the put the music away um, and be mindful about what's going around you because it is too. I mean, you can pick up things that are around you, whether it's paying attention to your kids or you know, noticing that you got to pull a weed here or, or whatnot. I mean, if you notice what's around you rather than being distracted by, you know, what's going on miles and miles away with people you've never met in your life, um, there's reward there, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. And honestly, that was part, that was a little bit part. So, you know, part of the conversation we had last week um, was kind of the inspiration for something I sent you, which is in the works, this idea of this base camp um 1.0 program um and and honestly a big part of a big part of the mindset and the ongoing of that you know maybe first program or offering that we'll have is getting into like a training mindset not just a working out mindset right so um, absolutely and, and the thought there is like you know training's different than just working out in the sense that you know training has a targeted and specific person purpose whereas like 
if you just want to work out, you know, go do seven minutes of burpees. And, you know, you can, anyone right now has the capacity to go in their driveway and do something to force yourself to get sweaty and throw up, right? I mean, like, you can get yourself tired. That that takes no talent, no coaching, no anything. But, you know, with the right program and the right training mindset, you, you know, you can begin a process to work towards, you know, specific adaptations, you know, and ours in the beginning might be, you know, what do we need to do in terms of our mind, our body, and our spirit, and, and even as we'll get into later today, this method of take to just sort out, you know, how do I get Woods ready um, for that first for that first hunt. So, yeah. And you know what I like about this, uh, this base camp program you came up with. And then like you're talking about training is that a lot of people have to have a guide in order to do things. Cause we're all wired different, right? There's sure. some people that well, like you, you're going to formulate a great plan. You're going to, and then, and somebody's going to adopt it and say, I'm going to do this. And now they're making this commitment to go through this training thing. And this, base camp program is keeping them accountable. A guy could like me, I could do my burpees every day, but then I have to tap into will every day and say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, the devil's going to get in my head and he's going to say, Oh, you know what, Jeremy, why don't you go back on the couch and read a book? That's it. And I'm like, no, no, I, I'm going to go work out. He can say, no, the couch, no work out couch. And I'm like, Oh, maybe I will go sit on the couch. That's it. But if I have this program and I'm like, okay, it's all written down here and this is what I got to do and I'm going to pick a specific time every day because you have to have consistency all over the board in order to make it successful. I mean, yeah, I think this program is awesome. No, and I guess I thought the cool thing was like, hey, let's help people to get their start. And I like what you said, you know, regardless, we all have we all have a little inner voice in us that is uh-huh always wants to take the path of least resistance. And I mean, I think a lot of that can be, that that can be rooted into just survival mechanisms, you know, because the fact was, you know, if you think of how we've gotten here, um, it's a lot more, it has a lot more to do with beyond our parents, before our parents. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that had to happen. And one of the things was um, in the things that I believe, at least when looking at like ancestral health models is that, you know, we probably spent a lot more time as humans trying to conserve food and conserve energy more than we were trying to find different ways to maximize workout potential because we were getting a lot of this stuff day-to-day life. You know, we were we were building homes. We were walking around. We were gathering. We, we were hunting and gathering, just like you said in the beginning. Well, now, you know, life is very simple and easy in this country. And if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in the U.S. of A., which means you're a top one percenter. I mean, if you can listen to this car and your commute to work, you're doing better than most. Um, right. so, so that means you probably have to get that mental switch where you, you have to get up and train, you have to get up and do extra stuff, but that's counterintuitive to, um, it's counterintuitive to what your body wants to do or what your DNA has said, because for, you know, thousands of years, you know, as a human being, you were doing just the opposite. You were conserving. So I would also say that mindset thing is something that you shouldn't beat yourself up over, but it's something you do need to work on. There's, you can make the excuse all day, but you know what? Eventually you have to, you have to stop making the excuse and you you have to stop letting the excuse dictate your actions. So, okay. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge that it's hard to, to do it when you don't want to do it. And then just freaking start. 
so so hopefully this is a really simple way that's a structured way that's kind of it, the, the program's linearly based and 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 the idea with it is to not only introduce some simple elements that will build a base for further more complicated programs but the thought is to introduce you to real training elements like you know not just warming up but what does it mean to turn your body on and not just again not just warming up but prepping your body to to do specific movements and then what is strength training where how should you start it um what kind of conditioning what kind of capacities are we trying to build in conditioning and then honestly i think one of the most important parts of any training program that people screw up or don't do is just closing it out um too many folks will get into a program and then you know you finish it and then you jump in your car drink your coffee and go right to work well you've missed a big element there where you've you've not enabled the body to begin the recovery process by not closing the workout properly. So um, the thought with this whole thing is to introduce all those elements in a, in a specific way to, to not only just get you fit and get your woods ready, but to introduce people to this idea of real training, not just working out for the sake of a sweat. Right. Well, and you know, here, here's a quote from Bill Wilson where he says, you can't think your way into right action yeah. But you can act your way into right thinking. Oh, there you go. I believe that. I love that quote. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. good. Absolutely. So it kind of just piggybacks off everything you're saying. Well, and how many times does that happen? We're like, I've listen, I got kids and if I'm not gonna train at five in the morning, guess what ain't gonna happen? Training. Because <laughs> you know, once they're up, the day is starting. It is starting. <laughs> everything I need to get <laughs> yeah. done is secondary. So you know, and, and honestly, that man, that I love that quote because there's so many workouts. There's I can tell you right now, there's not been a single workout that started at five in the morning that I've wanted to start. But by the end of it, around six o'clock, I'm like, man, I don't want this to be over. This was a good day. You know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely. I love. That I am quote. guilty of that every single day. Same thing. I, I always have the intention to work out in the morning, and then all of a sudden, it, I'll do it this afternoon, and then I have to push it in and then I don't do my stretching and then I'm super sore the next day. And man, I do that way, way too much. And I am guilty of, I need to start. And what's crazy is I'm getting up at five anyway, so I should just do my workout, but, um, I just need to do the right action now. Yeah. Start. And, and you know what? That's the right action. Start something, you know, yep. you know, every marathon run starts with step one. You know what I mean? Whatever it is now, you know, even now, if you look at a guy like Cameron Haynes, who runs ultra marathons and this guy's guilty of running a marathon every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, a full time job like each one of those marathons in the first one, he did it the first day. He took the first step. So get there, you know, just start. Absolutely. I like it. And, and, and like you said, at first, you know, you don't want to do it. But I, about 10 to 15 minutes into it, you get over that hump, and then it's just feeling good. And, you know, there's so many times I get on that stinking um, spin bike of mine, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Dang it, because the resistance and this and that. And then I start just that five minutes of pedaling for the warm-up, and then I'm like, man, I'm glad I got on the bike. That's it. That's it. So I love it. What was the quote? Can you say that quote again? Where'd you, what was it? One more time. For yeah, so it's a Bill Wilson, and it's, you can't – Think your way into right action, but you can act your way into right thinking. I love it. Very good. So, good yeah. stuff there. So, well, with that said, as we um, uh, last time the, the episode was very much focused on um, 
you know, getting a home gym started and a home workout. And then, you know, you can look for some further details on the base camp program and a, and a potential, um, uh, opening promo of the podcast just to get that thing going. Um, but, uh, you know, we also want to get folks woods ready and into the woods doing their things. I keep saying this idea of woods ready. I like that. Uh, I do too. <laughs> get woods ready, right? Woods ready. And I think it, I think it just, it speaks of a whole mentality too. So, um, we'll get you there, but, um, you know, Maybe you're thinking about well how do how do I how do I want to start my hunting journey and I think I think before we can even get into what gear to buy um, what licenses to buy what state you know we're here out here in Western Washington and we have a lot of options for method of take and I think that that's something that you should really give um, serious consideration and look into um, so I, I thought it might be cool to just have a roundabout conversation to just sort out you know how to you know, what are some of the the differences in each method of take and uh and, and and what mentality might be better for one or the other or, or, or whatnot. So for me, you know, I got right into archery for a couple of reasons, but um I think it's something important that guys should talk about and sort out for themselves. Well, absolutely, and it's really gonna dictate your workout program too. I mean, because each method and and you know, and the, the three methods that are really out there is your, your firearm, which is center fire the rifle. Um, you got your archery, you got muzzle loader, and, and there's a few other ones out there. But those are people use shotgun. That's kind of in the same plate realm as the muzzle loader because you're only getting about a hundred yards distance on a bullet that's you know effective. And then um, and then crossbow, which can kind of fall into archery, but Mainly you have the three. You got your firearm, archery, and muzzle loader. And with archery, it's usually early season. And on the elk side of the world, it's going to be in the peak. You, you know, you're going to be in during the rut times, which is September. Um, I know Oregon's in last weekend, I think, in August to the last weekend in September. And Washington, you know, we only have, I think it's a 14, 12, 12-day 12 window. It's usually the second weekend or the first weekend after what is it labor day or memorial day weekend i always get those two mixed up but um until like the 20th so in the rut and usually starts around the 20th is when things to start to get really hot so a lot of times in washington with archery we're hunting the pre-rut but so with archery you're going to put on a lot more miles because you're going to have to put less distance between you and the animal, which mm. is, you know, a good effective shots about 30 yards. A lot of these bows can go 60, 90, and a lot of people will take those real far shots, but you really, as a novice, the rule of thumb is you want it within 30 yards because you're going to be out practicing and you're going to go through a whole different set of emotions and um, the physical aspect and stuff like that. Well, and even if you're not, even if with archery, I mean, the idea is you're going to have to get close to the animal. So you're going to have to do one of two things. You're either going to have to put a good spot and stalk on, and that's going to happen through covering ground. And, and yep. even if you're not going to want to cover ground on the hunt, you're going to have to be someone who's going to, let's say, cover ground in terms of scouting, either the day before, the the weeks leading up to before. I mean, there's a I would think there's a lot of preparation in terms of just being in the woods um, that are required with, with archery. Well, yeah, especially your first, second or third year. And, you know, and a lot of us guys, I never had time to go scouting. 
I couldn't get out there. I'd have to, my first years of hunting, it was uh, hunted with a group of people, um, my brother-in-law and the uncles, and um, I didn't have time to go out there and jump in the woods. I had five days for art, for elk hunting. And um, so sometimes, you know, that time's limited. And then, so what do you do? You just get in the best shape you can, and then you just get in there and get after it. Pound it. And the other thing is you could become you know, start your calling and, and call in, or you could put tree stands up. But the thing I've no I found out about hunting is you can do all the scouting in the world all the way up until the first day. And you're going to see that elk. You're going to see that herd same spot every year, every day, up until the first day of hunting or probably two or three days prior to, and then that herd is gone. Sure. And you know, what happens is they're, they're getting a text message from us because we're, they are, man. Driving in, whatever. Oh, we're driving in. The guys are excited. They're yeah. hooting and hollering. They're getting their camp, you know. They're cutting down firewood. There's chainsaws. There's this. There's all this commotion, and all of a sudden, the elk go, ah, damn, it's elk hunting season. we got to go <laughs> two ridges over now. Gosh dang it, the food, the food was just getting good. And then they just they skedaddle to where there's less pressure. Well, and I've, So I've, you can scout. But if you're going to do a scouting, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to look at um, Google Maps or whatever you're, what you want to look at, Onyx or whatever. And you're going to have to look down and pick out the ugliest hole possible. And that's where you're going to need to scout. And you're going to and when you get there, there's not going to be much sign. It's all going to be old sign. And you're right? Gonna, yeah. You have to dig them out. I mean, you're going to have to. Exactly. And once you get down. Yeah. I mean, and. And I've heard similar stuff regarding the scouting. Like, yeah, you can put all this time in, but even from guys who I've heard veteran hunters and very successful elk, elk hunters in their podcasts just discuss how the best scouting you can do is going to be if, if you know, and again, in quotes, the best scouting is going to be that day before if you're lucky. Because then even in that regard, things get very different once um, – you know, and, and I can even think back to elk camp this year, and that was really true because that first day, even the first day and a half, we were seeing animals everywhere. But then as yeah. the, as the week went on, um, there were less and less. And like you said, they, those animals were in those pockets that were harder to find. And we were in an area where there's very low pressure. Yeah. Because it's kind of a little hidden secret. You go to places where there's a lot of pressure, and, I mean, it, it's game over. There's a reason why there's 10% success rate in the state of Washington on archery hunting. Mm. Now, is that a western so, thing, or is that an eastern thing, or is that just Washington in general? About it, 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 it's statewide. And I, I've heard similar numbers. I mean, it seems like it's a—elk hunting's a tough sport, especially with, with archery everywhere. It seems like 10% is pretty steady across the board. So I would say, you know, when you're considering method of take— um, you know, it's like my son, Mason, you know, he likes to play video games. He's good at, you know, my daughter, Charlie, she wants to get good at stuff. So I would say, you know, manage your expectations going into, into an archery season and, um, just realize that it, yeah, you can get, it, you might get some luck. You, you might tag out, you might put yourself in the right position. You might be ready, but you also, chances are you might not. So, so no. be, be mentally prepared to maybe measure success in more than just filling a tag. Yeah. Maybe just seeing them, just having the opportunity to see them because then, I mean, rolling over into the firearm, the center, uh, center firearm, you're not going to see elk as much at all. 
but you're being able to reach out there two, four, six, eight hundred yards. I mean, whatever the guy wants to, however far he wants to shoot. I'm not a big long range guy, um, but because we don't have a lot of open country here. Sure. So there's a lot of brush and things can get misconstrued and you can accidentally get, you know, shoot something you don't want to shoot at a long distance. But um, so you're going to be able to reach out there a little further, but you don't really see as much. So the game, but the, but, the game with moderns more of, you know, perch up, find a spot and, and know it, how these animals yeah. are moving. Yeah, absolutely. You perch up, you spot, you do push hunts. I mean, that's where it's really effective is doing push humps with your group. You, you, you choose a patch of timber around a clear cut or anything. Cause here we're here on the Western Washington side. And then you push through set of timber, you know, you spread out 60, 80 yards apart. You push through down to a road system and then you, you know, everybody teams back up and then you go do another push and another push. And, you know, I think the success rate for rifle here in this state is 20%. Hmm. But more. then it's it's a draw on draw only tag, right? So with that, you have to put in for the draw. You have to um, you know win the draw, and they have party hunts and stuff you can do as well, so that you're all on the same team, so you're not doing it individually. But um, now, also in Washington, can't you put in for a tag where you could have access to all three? You now with that, you can only. You can you only get one tag, but if you put into this lottery or draw, you can get access to all seasons. And you can, for example, if you wanted to stick with archery, as long as you followed the rules and put on the orange and did your thing, you could still hunt archery in modern rifle season. Am, am I correct in that? Yep, absolutely, and in muzzleloader. And how does so? That it's a multi-season is... tag, is what they call it. And do they only give out a couple of those? I mean, do you know any specifics on that one? Well, I don't know how many they give out. I think they give out a good size handful of them. They're about 189 bucks, I think, for elk and a little cheaper for deer. And, um, but yeah, you get to hunt archery, muzzleloader, and firearm. And like you said, if you go, if you're an archery hunter and you just want to hunt archery, and then you go into the muzzleloader season, you have to follow the state law and regulations, which is so much amount of hunter's orange and blah blah blah. And then same thing with the firearm. Now, I, I brought that up to my wife, and she was like, I don't like that. <laughs> She's like, I don't want you walking around the woods with your bow when there's guys with, with, with uh, you know, with rifles hundreds of yards well, away. I have a crazy story. So in Go bear hunting in, in the fall, you can use any method, and you don't have to wear hunter's orange or anything like that. So we are up on Mount St. Helens, and I was – I was going to take a tree stand in there. I was like, man, I'm going to put my tree stand up in here. I'd seen a lot of elk going through here, and it was in a, these patches. Anyway, it just looked like a good spot. So I, I get there, and up on this landing, um, overlooking this big clear cut, there's this guy sleeping in his rig and a dog, and the dog's going crazy. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. He's dead ass asleep. There's 30 beer cans empty all over the outside and front. There's a cooler, and anyway, and so – I must. I, I start might hiking in, huh? I said I might know this guy. <laughs> so I'm heading in, and I got my bow, and I'm gonna. If I see a bear, I'm gonna hunt him. 
So I'm going down and I look down and I see this herd of elk down at the creek and I go, oh, nice. And then they all started kind of acting weird and they're looking in my direction. I was like, there is no way in hell they winded me. And so I looked over and I peeked over the edge and there's this bear, a huge boar on his heels, standing straight up, looking down the hill at the elk. So, oh my gosh. So, um, what I normally always do is I always carry a hunter's orange cap and a vest in case I get into a clear cut situation. Well, as hunting would go, I lost my damn mind. Imagine that. <laughs> and I dropped everything, including my rangefinder and all that stuff. And I put this stock on this bear and I'm like an hour and a half into it. Um, 40 yards away from him. I'm about to, you know, draw and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. And then he kind of skeeters out. So anyway, I know those guys are up on the landing and I'm always keeping the ridge to where they can't see me. So I was always on, in this incidence, I was on the south side, south ridge, so they couldn't see me. Well, the bear pops up on opposing side, so I had to go up onto the ridge. And then I went and drew and I hear this clack, boom, clack. Boom. And then it registered. I go, those son of a guns are shooting at this bear. And I'm, I'm 20 yards off the line of sight with these guys and they're 700 yards away. And this mm. is why I'm not a big long range hunter guy. And so I jump over the, get behind this log and they take one more shot and I don't see any bullets landing anywhere. And these bears take off running. And I was so pissed. I took off running up that hill as fast as I could. And I probably got up there in five minutes from the bottom of this clear cut. And I walked up to him and there one, the one guy's just throwing beer cans and throwing everything he could in there. Cause he knew I walked by me cause by him cause he saw me and I walked up there and I was like, Hey, just to kind of break the ice. I go, do you guys have any toilet paper? <laughs> the one guy looks at me and he's like, what? And he goes, I go, yeah. Do you have any toilet paper? And he's, he's like, yeah, I got some right here. I go, yeah, I just about shit my, pan my pants when you guys are shooting at me. He's like, oh, no, we didn't even see you. I go, you didn't see me on the ridge? But anyway, the whole thing is is that I didn't throw my hunter's orange and do all that stuff, but these guys didn't really care because he, he, he you know, now I'm asking questions, and he'd been there for two weeks camping, and he had not seen a bear in two weeks. And so he just disregarded the fact that I was right there off the line of sight. And he's shooting a 30 out six at 700 yards, which is dropping, I think, like 92 inches or something like that. Mm. But it's I don't a, know. Why it's I a, it's a scary place out there with guys with firearms. And it just goes to say that, like, you know, no matter what you're doing, and, and I can't imagine taking a long range shot like that and really being confident of what's behind it or where the bullet's going to go. And um, uh, the, the long range stuff. Um, to each to each their own. Um, it's just something that that I'm not overly yeah. into because even with a shot that's 700 yards and you got to account for all that drop, you know, to me the more distance that's between um, you and and that animal and you know I just feel like what's stopping a gust of wind or what's stopping the animal from taking a step or or, or anything like that and you know and I know folks who maybe are. Um, you know, archers, they'll say, well, you know, you have to be so much more accurate, you know, with that, you know, you, you might not put the animal down as well. And, you know, I think there's give and take to each method of take that, that you're going to, you're going to mess with. But, um, it just goes to say that I think regardless of the method of take that, that you're going to use, you have to do what you can to 
to make it as safe as possible. I mean, weren't you telling me about a horrific story about a father and a son even bow hunting together, and they just weren't paying attention, and they had their arrows knocked as they were in a stalk, and then just not paying attention to dad in front of them. The kid, the kiddo, walked into his father and 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 pierced his his, his and pierced his old man. I mean, um, things can happen regardless. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a seven hundred yard shot with a rifle. I mean, you, heck, I no. know there was a, a story this year with uh, what was it on um. Uh, Corey Jacobson's, he did a Destination Elk series where him and some very experienced elk hunters, you know, one thing leads to another. The guy's messing around off his Instagram post and his broadhead goes through his calf and there goes the hunt. So things happen, yeah, right? That, so know, know how to be safe, right? Play play safety first, no matter what you're going to do. Yeah, you just got to be cautious. And, you know, that's what, and, and it, I took full responsibility of my actions because I did not put my hunter's orange on. Sure. But then they didn't take their responsibility by seeing somebody because there's no way they couldn't see me on the ridge. Like I was in the perfect line of sight and there's all of a sudden a, a shape jumps up on the top and he's drawn back and stuff. So you really can't trust that the other guys are going to do the safe part. So you always have to think about the safety aspect of everything. And I'll tell you the best way to even get in tune with that. I mean, for me, I was in the beginning when I got into this, I went out on a mentor's license um, with a buddy in Vermont and didn't do any safety course. I was just out with my buddy trusting his stuff. And I'll be honest with you, even in that, there'd be times we're out hunting and then we end the day with, oh, we didn't see anything. So let's go to a, let's go to this spot where we can shoot. And I can remember a day where, you know, he had a, he had a shotgun set up that was a a double trigger and I've never handled a gun like that before to be that was my first time ever handling a gun. And he goes, oh, there's two triggers. And I didn't, that didn't register a particular way with me. And, you know, I'm, I shoot the one and then you got to click over and do this. And I'm, I'm trying to work it out and, and hit my little target. And I was like, ah, I think it's jammed. And he goes, what do you mean? And I walk up to him and I hand him the gun and gives it back. And then, oh, there's that second trigger. And I didn't even think about it. And the gun's in my hand and it goes off. So, I've been there. It's a it's a wild yeah. thing, but I'll tell you what has really changed my mindset with that and given me things to think about was when I got into Washington, being on my own. I was like, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to man up and just take the damn course. Now I could have taken the easy route and gone online, but I was like, you know what? I didn't grow up with guns. I really don't know anything about them. Uh, it's better to learn from folks and really do it. And man, that hunter safety course was such a. I don't know why anyone who wants to tote a gun should some to do some version of that i really believe it because um this idea of check the chamber um don't accept a loaded weapon muzzle control i mean that was not anything i thought about and i wasn't taught even by an experienced hunter um until i actually took the course and learned it from folks you know like yourself jeremy who that's their job to to make sure people go out in the woods um, thinking safety first. So I would, you know, if, if you got young kids, um, man, that's got to be your A number one first step. You know, I would say take that course and take it live. Well, and the good thing is most states are now requiring that you do take one form of that yeah. class or not. And I'm, I like the live classes because then you're going to get, you know, a guy that's going to share his stories with you and yeah. get you a little more interactive where on the computer, it's just easy to, you know, read paragraph three, answer the question, read paragraph four, yeah. answer question. And it's, you know, all of us learn different. My sure. wife, she would go through that thing and just, she'd get a, she'd get a hundred percent. I'd go through it and I'd probably get a 10%. 
But yeah. in a class situation, I learn a lot more because, you know, people tell me stories, hence probably the reason why I tell so many stinking stories. But it ju it just works better for me. Well, then you're yeah, but too we already you you brought it up too with this idea of starting a new training guide and being held accountable to something and, and getting buy in on it. Like, and there's some lessons that are going to resonate online, okay, I guess, and there's some lessons that are just going to resonate in person. So like, when guys are handling guns with you for your first time and they say, Hey, you mind checking down the barrel of this gun for me? Just, just look down the front of this hole here and they do it. And then they say, Oh, guess what? Now you're dead. And you're holding yeah. that. And that, that all of a sudden resonates because that's how quickly it can happen and done right. You know, that's a really scary lesson for people to go through. Um, but it was, I mean, listen, you, you know, it, the one I took um, out here in Puyallup, we spent three hours one day just handling guns. They were all, they were all un. They all checked them before it started, so we all knew they were empty. But they kept going through these live fire drills like they weren't, like we didn't know, and they were really strict about it for from from the first rep to the last rep. Do this, do that, and they were hammering that lesson hard. You're dead. You killed yourself. You're, you killed yeah. everyone in this room. No good. Like, and I'll remember that. And every time I look at a gun now or see it um i'm not going to accept it until i know for sure and, and to me there's no there shouldn't be any sort of you know just because you're my good buddy doesn't mean that i'm gonna you know you're trusting someone with their life when you're handing a gun over you know i, I want to make sure that thing's unloaded first man you mind just emptying that thing for me real quick so um i don't think you can i don't think you can take those safety precautions far enough when, when you're handling firearms because ultimately what's the mistake going to be i mean the result. It, it could be disastrous that's it so well and you know like we keep hammering away to the kids and even adults is just you know it's a mechanical device yeah the mechanics will fail yep and so you have to I mean you always have to have your a game you always have to think safety and you know well that was in firearms person. you know i did I, I i hunted with the uh, rifle for gosh i want to say 10 years before I went into archery and I've been shooting since I was six years old. So I love shooting guns and, and being around them. But, um, there is a lot of safety. You have guys, especially when you do a push hunt, you have guys to your right. You got to have guys to your left. Some guys like to hold the bottom, which is scary to me, but, um, so you got to be very cognitive. You got to come up with a good plan. You got to talk and, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. Everybody talk safety. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to have my hunter's orange on. I'm going to be on a ridge. I'm going to be. But you always have to identify your target before you pull the trigger. That's, you know, that's the real main thing. And make sure of its surroundings as well. You can't just get caught up in the moment. And it happens. Like I said, I got caught up in the moment and I didn't do what I've been teaching to kids to do. And that is no matter if you're in a season where it's a multi um, multi, uh, whatever, um, multi system method, yeah. multi method of use that you throw that hunter's orange on. If you're in the rifle season or muzzle loader season, you're not exempt just because you're an archery hunter. Sure. And, and I even and so, like the thought with the, the hunter safety, like you just brought up, like the first safety is you, you mm -hmm. know, you can't, don't rely on the mechanical, the mechanical piece. Like, you know, so with that and can, you know, is it empty and do you have good muzzle control? And when in doubt, empty the chamber. You know, I can remember, I think we might have brought it up, but, you know, you know, sometimes 
the country we're hunting, like you said, it's steep, it's thick, it's whatever. So sometimes the best safety practice is to put your, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to, um, holster that thing or put it in the pack so you can just crawl your way up your mountain. But man, it's a, it's a nerve wracking feeling to look back and see that there's a, there's a barrel pointed at you by no fault of the other guy, but he's just crawling. So in that regard, you're a lot more comfortable if we've all seen that, okay, before we've gone up this steep grade, you know, let's just make sure these things aren't loaded. You know what I mean? Because I would rather lose an animal than lose a buddy's life. I mean, and I think that would be anybody on this show who's listening, yeah. who's, who's, be, who's someone I'd want to hunt with. No, I agree. So it's interesting stuff, man. It's something to consider. And and I know for me, one of the reasons that I went into archery, it was kind of a family decision because for, for whatever reason, um, well, not for whatever reason, but, you know, if I can keep the broadheads behind a lock box in the house, um, there's going to be not an issue, you know, just same way that you're going to keep your ammunition or whatever locked behind a thing. But for some reason, you know, me and my wife, I didn't grow up with guns, um, you know, and before hunter safety and before we felt comfortable. And the fact is, you know, I have three knucklehead kids and I just can't look my son in the eye right now and trust wholeheartedly that he understands the finality of mistakes that can happen um, with a firearm. So, that's just yeah. another reason that we're just not we just don't have them in the house yet and um but we're working towards that i, I see a lot of value in it and um you know I've, my first couple hunts in vermont were with firearms and rifle and and i had a cool time i mean shooting guns is, is fun it's it you know if there's dang it if there's one american tradition that you know is purely american it's got to be that so um i get it um but man it there's just you know, when you're considering a method of take, whatever you're going to do, just you have to take every safety precaution possible to make sure that you can really enjoy yourself and, and there's not some kind of horrific accident. Because they happen. It happens every year. Oh, it happens all the time. And what it is is it's a guy puts his gun in the corner and then he has the cartridge over in his drawer next to his bed. And, you know, curiosity of the kid, he's going to go look at the gun and want to pull it up because mm-hmm. they are cool and um, and then he's like, Oh, I'm going to go grab that cartridge. Cause I went through all my parents' drawers and stuff and found it. And then he goes and slaps it in there. And then that's when it, that, that that's when accidents happen with, with me, I have the safe up in my bedroom, in my closet, and I have all my rounds over in the garage locked up in a lockbox over there to where the kids can't even reach up and grab it. So my ammunition is really two stories down and you know 50 feet away from where my rifles are and there's other precautions or any of my too. firearms can't you take um can't you get trigger locks and some, some things like that like I yeah said, we're not into that yet but i can i can imagine when we do bring them into the home because it'll happen just because the more you know and one reason that i you know method of takes interesting to know because the more method of takes that that you can be into or tag for you know the more time you can spend in the woods you know what i mean i know lots of guys will get into archery hunting just because it's an extra step even if they are predominantly rifle hunters but you know i, I i've heard was it i guess against steve Rennell and those guys on the mediator podcast i mean he's a big proponent of saying you know your gun should be behind a lock and then you should have a trigger lock on the gun itself you yeah know, absolutely. Why, why not take every precaution in that regard and then that next step to just have them not in the same place and behind another lock is just another one. I mean, I, I can't imagine not taking every, every step necessary to keep, you know, your family and kiddos and, and hunting buddies safe. Yeah, exactly. That's the same thing when you're at hunting camp. Yeah. You know, you don't, 
the state of Washington, you can't have a loaded gun. You can't have the cartridge in your gun while you're driving down the road where it used to be where you could have the cartridge in there, but you just couldn't have um, a bullet in the chamber. Hmm. Now you can't have either one. And they'll give you a ticket if your gun is leaning up against your tire and you have the cartridge in there. Hmm. Just because of how many accidents do happen. Yeah, and it's generally, I mean, you know... And then that's the thing, too, when you look at a lot of these accidents or bad things that happen. I mean, none of them are ever planned. No. And they're, they're accidents, and they're generally self-inflicted things that could have been handled if people followed the rules. So, you know, and that that's a big thing that I got, too, from Hunter Safety, was just hearing the, the you know, they had a game warden come to, into our course, and you could actually ask them questions and go through that. And, you know, I, I think those guys probably take that job for the same reasons that most folks go into hunting. They like the woods. They want to support the sport. They... They want to make sure everybody's safe, but they and they love being outside. And then you get into it, and you come to find out that who they're really punishing is a bunch of knuckleheads who aren't following the rules. So um, exactly, it's, it's interesting stuff, man. So, so Jeremy, I have a quick question. So, for folks, I don't know if we've made a case for either. Um, you know, what's a better what's a better route to go if you're new to the sport? But you know, is you've gone through them all, and right now you you spend a lot on, on archery hunting. Um, if if someone was trying to work this equation out and determining and they really just had no idea uh what's a thought process that they could they could undertake that would help alleviate this decision for them well it funds right oh that archery yep. can be I mean, you can get a good bow a used bow for three hundred and fifty bucks so uh, what uh, I'm kind of gonna I'm going to answer your question in in kind of a roundabout way. Each one of these methods takes a whole different set of other gear. And when I talk about that, your clothing, your, um, your, your pack, your whatever, because muzzleloader is going to be a warm time or your archery is going to be a warmer time of the season. So you don't really need thicker clothing. Your firearm is going to be in the October, November time, which depending on where you're hunting, like in Washington, you can hunt on the west side of the mountains and it's going to be raining all the stinking time and about 50 degrees. You go on the other side and it's going to be snowing and it's going to be 12 degrees. So when you're sitting here thinking about which method I want to take or use, you're kind of also going to have to think about what clothing you're going to buy for that particular season. The archery, you're, you could, I think, would be the less expensive way to go because you could spend – you know, get a good bow for 350 bucks with arrows and everything else. I mean, it's not going to be that super high tech one. You can just slowly build up on that one. You know, you, you shoot that one for one or two years and then you up, sell it, upgrade and, and, and work your way up. Cause you could spend 350 bucks or you can spend, I mean, up to three grand. Well, for even, a nice if you bow. Wanna, even if you want to go, I mean, what, even, let's say you want to go name brand, but bottom shelf. I mean, there are guys even, even a John Dudley, who is a you know a pro archer, big hunter, you know he he's gone out of his way to say you can be really successful. And I think he's done a season of his knock on show where he's gone out and tagged out using the Pro Max, which I think probably for your money uh, with the Hoyt kit, I mean you get out of that one I think for around five hundred bucks and you're yeah. set up. And I mean I think the Man, I think the compound stuff has come so far where, you know, all the compounds now, especially if you're going to go with a brand like a Hoyt or a Matthews or, or um, you know, some of these, these 
these dealer brand bows, um, they're going to be good. I mean, you're it's going to be far surpassed anything that they were making five years ago. I mean, the technology is crazy, but you can get in the weeds pretty quick where you're spending up to two grand for a setup if you're going to go kind of carbon fiber and, and go nutty on that. So I think maybe you bring it up. You know, what's your budget? Like legitimately, what's your budget? Mm-hmm. And then go walk backwards from there. And then maybe the other question is how important is it for you? Is it important for you to learn how to hunt or is it important for you to tag out? And I think that exactly. that's, probably, that's probably a real question. You know what I mean? If, if you're like my son, you know, we went duck pin bowling today and actually ran into your daughter, Antoinette. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, we, but, man, he, he's throwing a gutter ball, and he goes in the legitimate gutter. I mean, if he's not feeling success, he quits. And you kind of have to guide him along and keep him in it. And then by the end, he figured it out. But, man, he was he was walking the razor's edge for a little bit. Uh, you know, so so I hear you there. So if you're someone who needs to feel success, I think that – you you should probably consider that and maybe maybe if you know you're not going to get a tag um maybe it might be a better decision for you to consider a rifle season yeah exactly well yeah and and still then you have a whole bunch of different other elements when you're in the firearm world right lots more people they only offer 400 tags there's orange bodies going every which way it can get confusing and um and that's kind of why I got out of rifle hunting. It just, there was just so many people in the woods and the elk usually concentrate in specific areas and wherever they concentrate, you know, and the hunters finally figure it out on day number five or seven, because that's usually how long it takes you to pattern the elk, then everybody's there. So the trick is to get in there and find the elk quicker than everybody else, which is, you know, you're going to have to be fit. You're going to have to put in a lot of miles. You're going to have to be three times the hunter they are. And when I say that is you don't go back for, you know, two or three hours in the afternoon and kick it and kick it with the homies and stuff. You're going to have to sit there and work your tail off. And, and, you know, really at the end of the day, we all create our own success or we create our own luck. Everybody's like, well, that guy's lucky there and that guy's lucky there. But no one knows what kind of preparation an individual puts in to create their own luck. Sure. Right? Yeah. So the more you could be prepared, the better off. And, and, and to kind of go back to the archery, you know, you get – is the cheaper bow worse than the more expensive bow? No, not really. What's the biggest difference? Oh, you're going to, you're going to trade a little bit of speed for the cheaper bow and comfortability. The, 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 the cheaper bow is going to vibrate a little bit more and it's going to do this, you know, it's be not going to be maybe. As, maybe a little heavier, not as tight a pattern, you know, there's, it's got some different tolerances, but within that 30 to 50 yard range, you're still going to be, you know, you should be able to still shoot four to six inch diameters and which is more than plenty to kill an elk. If you're hunting deer, you know, you want to keep that in the 20, 30 yard range, but really it's just comfortable ability. And it's same thing with your clothing, which we'll probably get into another podcast on that. Um, but you know, you can buy less expensive clothes, be a little more, little less comfortable and then, you know, graduate to the other stuff. And when you're young, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're kind of invincible at that age right all the young kids <laughs> i mean when i was younger the, me and my brother-in-law we'd go deer hunting and we'd wear i remember my first year going deer hunting elk hunting with my brother-in-law and i show up in levi's tennis shoes cotton shirt and no rain gear 
right? <laughs> and we hunt in, we were hunting in Oregon at Saddle Mountain, and it's like I think the second or third densest rainforest in the Pacific Northwest or something crazy like that. So we're there for five days, and it rains it rained like buckets. Every day I was just miserable. You know, no trailer, no nothing. We're just in the just shivering. But I pushed through it, and then the next year I got good boots, but still had you know miserable clothing. And but you, when you're young, you can push through it. Right now, if I think about it, I you Your know bones like, start aching. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> hell no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but so when you're younger, you're a little more resilient to to all those things. So you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to get all this great elite stuff. And I mean, you could, I don't know how much I have in clothing now. And it's only been in the last three years that I've acquired clothing. I was, you know, I had all the same gear up until three years ago. And then I finally stepped up and bought good stuff. You know, the QU brand is what I've been using. And I got some Sidka too, but. Well, I'll tell you a tip I heard if you're trying to do it. So one thing, ignorance is bliss, bliss in terms of gear. Yep. Sometimes you used to be stupid. Sometimes you just need to be young and stupid enough to just start with what you got. And yep. that should be how you do it. But then, too, you know, if you are looking to get decent gear at a, I've heard one tip that I haven't tried out. Um, but if you go into like a, a Goodwill store or a secondhand store at some of these, like in some of these, like uh, ski towns, supposedly you can get a, a bunch. It might not be camoed out and, it might not be, you know, like you said, a Kuyu brand or some a hunting brand uh, situation, but it will be stuff that will keep you warm and dry if you if you can go into like the right kind of, you know, if you go to like a Goodwill up at somewhere, um, you know, it's some some little ski town or, or you know if you're out in Leavenworth, like the Leavenworth, uh, you know, Goodwill, you can probably find a good little deal and 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 sort that out. So that's something to do. Um, but, you know, I would say, too, you know, I know some of these hunting gears can be a little bit expensive, but one of the reasons that is because a, a lot of those folks will actually donate a portion of their proceeds in back right into hunting, which I think yeah. is pretty neat. So, um, you know, in that regard, you can know that you're spending a little bit extra dollar to support, you know, what you're doing, um, which I think is interesting. But, man, you know, it's it's another conversation that gets right into the weeds. I know one thing that I did invest in um knowing I was hunting out in western Washington, especially as I was considering late season elk, late season elk and deer options um, for archery was um, was good rain gear. I mean, I would almost, I would say layer with what you got. Um, if you can do wool, do it. But more important than that, man, if you can have an outer shell that keeps you dry, especially if you're going about here in western Washington, I would, I would, you'd say you got to figure out a way to prioritize that. You know, whether it's, obviously if it can be camoed out where you can be a little bit discreet, um, that'd be nice, but I even think that there's some debate in that. You know, there's some folks who say that these animals, it don't matter. I mean, so that's even a debate with some folks. So um, it's interesting. I, th- you know, hunting like anything else and nutrition. I think you can make your case if you want to. You know what I mean? And yeah, but I think more importantly, you have to have the will to start, and you have to start. So um, you know. Well, yeah, and, and to answer your question from earlier too is. It's really a preference on what kind of weather you want to hunt in. Archery, you're going to be in warmer weather. It's going to be drier. Um, it couldn't be rainy. I mean, this year we got rained on almost the whole time during archery season. And then firearm, it's going to be your success will be a little higher percentage-wise. You're going to have be bundled up, and um, the days are shorter, so you're going to get less hunting time. And, um, and the other thing 
is that you have those season, firearm seasons are usually four to, to 12 days long. Mm. And you have to put in for a draw and, and get that draw. And then so it takes a little bit more effort to figure out, okay, where am I going to hunt? Because you have to put in for three different places. And um, and if you, and if you're novice and you don't know where to hunt or anything, then now you have to do a bunch of research, talk to a lot of people. Where archery, it's usually open to the whole – like here in Washington, it's hope, opened up to the whole western region. So you don't have to put in for a draw for archery. And then you can hunt first season and then they also have a second season. So if it's a guy that really wants to do a lot of hunting and get really into it, archery to me is the best because you're going to get close encounters and you got, you know, 12 days in the first part of the season. Then you have a month in the second part of the season. Yep. And that would be mine. Like if you're just going to straight up say, you know, Joe, what would you do? And then, you know, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of giving recommendations, but I will tell you exactly what I did. And it was like me, I want to get close to animals and I want to spend time in the woods. And honestly, I want to get off the trail and, and into the, into the mountains. And I think archery gives you that, you know, you're going to be moving more. Um, you're going to be attacking the ground more. Um, and honestly, if you don't see animals, you can just say, Hey, let's just go up that ridge and see, and you do it. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. meanwhile, I think a lot of times with, with modern season, the, 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 the method is going to dictate, Hey, let's find a good spot and stay still and hope for the best. And that, and that maybe that's just my way of looking at it. But in my early goings, that's, that's kind of what I see the difference as. So, but if I think if you really want to get out and see some, see some wilderness and, and, and have an adventure. I just think archery is just a little better, better place to do that. But you know, that's just an opinion of a guy who doesn't know much, just a guy trying things. So we're working <laughs> it out though. Right. And, that, uh, yep. and I would say that opinion might change after this year. You know what I mean? So. Well, another one we didn't uh, uh, really touch on is the muzzleloader season. And it's usually that here in Washington, it's the first week of October, which mm. is, can be typically the peak of the rut. And the weather could be warm or it could be cold. So that one you kind of have to prepare to have everything. And um, But it has its ups and downs too because your, your, your breach, they call it, it's a little different here. You have to have, I think it's, a, I believe it's an open breach. So if it's raining and that thing gets wet, there's a higher chance of a misfire. Mm. And um, it makes it a little harder. And then plus the season I think is only four or five days long. So, yeah, I mean, there's... There's a lot to choose from. Depends on, you know, what you get your kicks off. If you already have a firearm or, you know, a modern firearm, that might be the ticket to go or your your father has one and he's handing it down to you or you could borrow it from your dad. And, yep. and then that way, you know, you, then you can kind of afford to buy a little bit better gear. And um, But, yeah, it's whatever preference. It's hunting in warm weather or hunting in cold weather. Yeah, so maybe the idea is if you really don't know, and obviously this kind of um, interesting conversation we're having, you know, in terms of just discussing it, you know, we've maybe given you some things to think about, but, you know, go go to your local gun club. Go to an archery shop. You know, every, every time, you know, my wife for Christmas last year, she didn't want to buy me a bow just because she's, you know, she doesn't know a lot about the sport, but she did get me a couple lessons to with an experienced archer and I walked into a, a bow shop out here in Puyallup that was great and I got to shoot a bunch of bows I got to talk hiking and then I did the hunter safety course and I got to handle some guns and you know you, you go to a gun club you know before you make the big purchase I think there's there's a lot of opportunities for you to try the method 
that you want to try and get out there and talk with people. I mean, when I knew I wanted to get in a hunt and I started wearing the, the elk hat around, you know, starting to talk to guys like you and I started to go to the places. So again, the, the idea can't be sure. Do some research at your computer. Yeah. Read a book, but you know, put your boots on, put a hat on and start talking to some of these folks. And, you know, cause I would say too, there's probably different personalities in these. So, yeah. you know, if you click with a guy who's a, who's a, for me, it's as much about the relationships. You know, I had a great time at elk camp just because I was hanging out with you and, and Dave and, and Tom and, and, and Chad, you know, so, excuse me, Tim and Chad. And, you know, it was as much about the people, too. So get out there and see who you're doing it with. So if you have a buddy begging you to go hunting with him, go hunting with him and the method he's doing. You know what I mean? So. Um, well, yeah, and like you said, you go to the archery shop, you go to the any hunting store or outfitter store or whatever – Guys love talking about hunting, yeah. and they're gonna they're willing to give you <laughs> as much advice as you can absorb. Except so the spot. you just get, except for the spot. <laughs> That's always the thing, right? I got yeah. my secret spot. I'm not yeah. letting anybody go there. Yeah, I, I might have <laughs> talked about this story before on the podcast, but it's just so funny to me, and it speaks to that. Where you know, I spent a couple hours in this bow shop, just shooting, hanging out, eating lunch, whatever. I was just ended up spending three hours there, just shooting the shit. And at one point, this guy come in with an Idaho license, and and the shop owner was like, "Oh, you hunting in Idaho?" And the guy's you know spilling his guts. I did this here. I took that there. And then and then the guy's like, "Yeah, I've hunted in Idaho too." I've taken a couple of bulls, and, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, where, where? And the guy's like, the woods. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it is what it is, and, and I can respect that. Um, but but I do, and I actually think that that's a better way to do it anyway, because if you do go to the spot, you're going to go to that guy's spot and try and do what he did. But if you just have a general broad stroke, you'll go out there, and you'll figure it out for yourself. You know what I mean? And um, I know going back on what you said, you know, sometimes maybe you're – Maybe in terms of expectation management, the idea has to be just to to see an elk, right? Um, yeah. I know with with when I went out into late season for the first time, I told you I was like, you know what, I'd like to do, I'd like to bump one, I'd like to put, I'd like to set a hunt and walk into something, and you know, I'd like to bump one because for me that means I'm at least following the right stuff and I'm putting myself on animals. And I had that experience. I actually got a, a small opportunity to put a stalk on a cow and. Um, I learned a couple of lessons just like you went crazy. I went crazy too. Cause I forgot my range finder. Um, you know, I forgot my, um, I forgot my wind detector and I just went off on the stalk and all of a sudden the fog lifts and you know, that cow elk that was banging away, making noise for the last 30 minutes when that fog lifted, we were almost eye to eye, 70 yards apart and she couldn't get out of there quick enough. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I conjured it up and made it happen. So, you know, now I need to put in my head that I'm going to pull back on one. So we'll work it out. But, um, Good yeah, talk, Jeremy. Um, yes, good, sir. Good stuff, method to take, and um, we alluded to maybe some gear conversations and some other fitness-related topics that we'll get into um, in future shows. But I think the big thing now is um, put some thought into why you're starting this and what your goals are in doing it. You know, um, and I think that that will do a lot for you. And then just you know consider the safety and state regulations and where you are. Jeremy and I are living and hunting out here in Western Washington. So if you're somewhere else and, you know, we can maybe do a little bit of research for you. And I think there's some great, I think there's some great resources that can push you into the right direction to help you figure out a method of take or success rates. Uh, I think an app that folks talk a lot about is a go hunt app where you can, you can, um, or a go hunt website that will give you a lot of the state regulations and help you do a lot of redrawal and, and whatnot. But for me, just because I know I don't have a lot of time to travel, the, the local and more closer to home I can hunt, the better. So I know the general tag is very easy to get. 
there's spots around here in Western Washington where we can go. But um, I think it'd be really cool, Jeremy, if folks would tell us maybe about their early season successes and how they've gotten started in different states. I know you've you started in Oregon, and hopefully this show can reach out to folks in, you know, um, what is it, all the different Utah and different states and and, and places all around the country. So I'm I'm excited to hear some of those stories. So hopefully you guys can can reach out to us and share them with us. Absolutely. Cool. And I'm not scared to, you know, I like sharing um, areas with people that I know that hold a lot of elk. And the one thing I've learned over the years is that there's no secret spot. <laughs> and everybody acts like they have this secret spot. And, you know, and then you're talking to another guy three months later after you hunted the area. And you and he's like, oh, yeah, that's where I hunt for centerfire or for modern rifle. And you're like, oh, huh. Damn, I thought I was the only one there. <laughs> That's right. Or or you so, have your secret not, spot, and then you all of a sudden I, I, show up and people are camped in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not scared to share, you know, locations of – I usually won't share where I'm going for the next season. But as Joe, as you'll find out, we'll end up bouncing all around this state hunting. I, I, I have a hard time staying in the same place every year. Sure. So, yeah, because I want to see uh, the terrain. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why not check it out? Well – well, super cool, man. We'll hopefully get into it. Um, if you like the content, review the show for us. It helps us out a lot. Um, and uh, we'll keep you posted on what we're doing in the developments of this base camp um, program to get you guys uh, woods ready. But in the meantime, go to your local shop. Uh, get squared away with your local um, your state regulations where we need to get licensed. And, um, you know, safety first, folks. And um, until then, um, this is uh, Joe Shamanic and Jeremy Day of the Back Country and Barbells podcast. Um, wishing you, uh, wishing you uh, tagging out. Do that, guys. Uh, but in the meantime, we are out. Uh, Jeremy, have a good one, buddy. You too, brother. Hope you guys enjoyed that content. Today's show, remember, was brought to you by the Send of It Foundation. Head on over to their website, sendofit.org. Send hyphen a hyphen vet.org to check out how you can help and how they're helping soldiers also guys pr lifting quality fitness gear especially to those in the pacific northwest check them out prlifting.com and also guys backcountry and barbells.com check it out review talk about it share it let us know and suggest who we should be talking about until the next one guys train hunt and live